the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. In Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 12, there are about 16 people groups from all around the world, all around the Middle East, rather, and they heard the gospel in their language. And as I read that, it reminds me uh, to tell you about a privilege I've had this day. I've been with a missionary all day that has shared the gospel around the world. But I want to tell you about that. First, though, I I do want to welcome everybody to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland here with Bert Harper on the American Family Radio Network. And Bert, Acts chapter 2, it's exciting to read about the Holy Spirit coming, Pentecost, the church is birthed, and people from all over hear the message of Jesus and take it to their localities. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still telling the world of Jesus. We're, we're a part of a, of a work of God that goes back 2,000 years, aren't we? We are, and it continues. And what you said about these nations from all over the world, uh, the Middle East especially, uh, Europe and Asia, they took that message back, and it was ready to be shared and so today, we still have that same message. Now, we may do it differently for far as radio, internet, you know. We don't have to get on a ship and sail across. And a lot of the missionaries in the early years, it says they would take their coffin to be buried in as they mm-hmm. would go to these countries. But here in Acts chapter 2, we find out the great commission being shared and it going out. I think it got a real good start, Alex, to be able to share that in all the nations that were listed. Well, you know what? Earlier today, and I've I've got to share this. I don't know if this name will uh, be known by everybody, but I I spent up until a few minutes ago my day with a, a minister named Arthur Blessed. Oh wow! Does yes. that name ring a bell? You better believe it. Arthur Blessed, uh, amazing, from 1969 up until 2018, carried a cross around the world. And I was uh, with him, and he was listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest walk in history, 43,000 miles plus on foot, 300 and some nations he was in, even North Korea. Uh, Shared the gospel throughout North Korea on five different occasions pictures of him with Billy Graham, but, you know, with just tens of thousands of people uh, sharing the gospel, and he prayed for me, and uh, we told him about, you know, what the Lord has us doing, but he he showed me a picture uh, in Louisiana when he was a seven-year-old boy, and he responded to the call to preach, and he said, as a seven-year-old boy, he just told the Lord, he said, Lord, if you'll help me, I'm going to spend my life telling people about Jesus. Amen. And, you know, Arthur Blessed is telling me this today, and I'm, I said, that's what I want to do. That is, that that must be my priority. And when I was reading these in Acts 2, uh, the, the Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs— uh, they heard the message of salvation 
And God still wants that message taken to the whole wide world, doesn't he? He does. Now, this is from the Spirit of God. Verse 4 makes that plain. This is not men drunk doing it in their own power. Some people thought they were drunk, if you were to look at that. And Peter declared, say, they're not drunk. It's just the third hour, 9 o'clock in the morning. But here in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance, the Spirit of the Lord, the driving force. Jesus had told them, I've got to go away. If I don't go away, the Spirit will not come. But when he comes, there's going to be a phenomenal that you can't believe. You're going to do greater things than, than you've ever seen before. And here it starts, Alex. Now, remember, Jesus had spent his whole life concerning Jerusalem, up, yes, in Nazareth, but he had never gotten out of that little stretch of land. But right here on this day when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, listen, that was going to be amplified. It was going to go out in all directions, north, south, east, and west. And when you read those and you get a, a map to see what it was like in those days, it was going to go out in all directions. It's like that pebble in the pond. Throw it out, and you see this ripple effect going in all directions, Alex. And here mm -hmm. it is, Jesus sharing that. And when this happened, they heard the languages. Uh, they heard the message in their own tongue. Verse 11 we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful mm. works of God. Uh, it wasn't just about this or that. It was about the what God was doing. Alex, I'd say that to us. That's what we need to do. What is God doing in our lives? What is God doing today? God is still active today, and we need to make much of it. Well, you know, in John 14, 12, you mentioned about the works that the Holy Spirit does through the church. In John 14, Jesus had said this to the disciples, quote, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And, hey, believe it. And, Bert, everybody's talking about the state of the country and how America needs an awakening, and we do. We really do. But... There is power in prayer. There is power in studying God's Word and seeking to be filled by the Holy Spirit and then asking and saying, Lord, give me somebody to witness to, and Lord, when I meet my neighbor, help me to steer the conversation toward the things of the gospel. Let me say, there are mighty, mighty works that God wants to do through every person listening to this program right now. And when, when I read Acts chapter 2, it's just amazing. Verse 12 says that the people were amazed and perplexed, and they asked one another, what does this mean? And as you read, some made fun and addressed them uh, as having been drinking. That wasn't the case at all. Verse 14, Peter, here's where Peter's assertiveness is going to be used by God. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Verse 15. These people are not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. But what you're hearing was what Joel prophesied in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above 
and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 21. Let's talk about 17 through 21 for a minute, if we may. Yes, we do. And Joel, a great prophet, uh, this is kind of set aside in what we call the minor prophets. But I would declare to you, is anything but minor when we talk about this movement? Notice this, Alex, and then you, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Notice how this is Peter jumping on this about the Spirit of the Holy, the Spirit of God. That's what Luke is writing. Luke is making it plain there in verse four, the Spirit of God. The Spirit gave them utterance. And then when it comes time for Peter to preach, he is talking about how is this happening? It is a God. It is the Holy Spirit of God. This is what God promised. And verse 18, right in the middle of these scriptures, I will pour out my spirit. Alex, this is exactly what took place on Pentecost. The spirit of God was poured out, and these people, they responded. And yes, and what was happening? Everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was for Mm -hmm. a purpose, wasn't it? Well, it was. You remember in Luke uh, 4.21 where Jesus said in the synagogue, this day scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In a way, Peter was kind of saying that because he's saying, look, what you're seeing here is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, he says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This is part of the new covenant. Christ has died on the cross, risen again. We're under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit. Uh, indwells every believer. And, you know, if if this was the last days 2,000 years ago at Pentecost, I mean, we must really be in the last days now. Um, now, uh, 19 through 21, I'm wondering if that is part of what's going to be during the tribulation period, Bert. Yeah, it does sound like it. Again, this yes. is not unusual for, for the pro- Old Testament prophets— to have a mixture or a double, you get the first coming of Christ. You also get the second coming of Christ. And when they review in it, they saw it together. The way I was told and explained, uh, it's like a mountain range. If you see the first mountains, they're kind of smaller. But behind them, there's real, uh, real high mountains that you see. So you mm-hmm. see the mountains at the same time, but you don't see the valley that's between the two mountain ranges. And when the Old Testament prophets would look toward the what God was doing through his first coming, Jesus coming, and then his second coming, he, the, they kind of blended together without that valley between them. And so I think you're right, Alex. This is what's going to happen before Christ comes back. Yeah, I mean, uh, 17 and 18 are definitely part of the church age. The Spirit of God is being poured out. People are proclaiming the gospel. Um, people are definitely seeing visions and dreams. If you if you read much about evangelism in the Muslim world, many people in the Islamic world are having a dream and meeting Jesus and then hearing the gospel. And uh, people, men and women, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, are proclaiming the gospel. Now, 19, 20, and 21 definitely sounds more like things during the tribulation the signs in the heavens, the the stars falling, and the the sun be turned to darkness. But 
now and then whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, in verse 22, like a great preacher, Peter sort of begins to change gears, and he gets specific and personal, doesn't he? He, he does. Says, he moves in. He lays the foundation. The foundation yes. is the Spirit of the Lord has come, and calling upon the name of the Lord, you be saved. That's the foundation of the passage here in uh, the book of Joel that he is referring to and in his message. And then not only does he get into it, notice what he does. He pinpoints his audience. He says, men of Israel. He is pinpointing his audience and saying, I want you to hear, hear these words. And he doesn't mince words. It's all about Jesus because it talks about Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What name mm -hmm. does he use first, Alex? Jesus. At the name Amen. of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Uh, he is preaching this message. He is right on. I think that he's been endued with power by the Holy Spirit, and uh, the Spirit of the Lord is leading Peter in this message of looking at the oh. Scriptures and delivering it in a bold way. Big time, big time. And, you know, we've talked about the fact that during the book of Acts, to Jews that were very predisposed to the gospel, I mean, they, they had this knowledge of, of the true and living God, the promises of the Savior. They, you know, they had a knowledge base to begin with. But later on in the book of Acts, there's going to be a lot of Greeks and philosophers that had to do a little preparatory work before they could understand the message of the gospel. That is so true, and you're going to see the difference. You'll see 5,000 added, 3,000 added in these early days, but later on when it's in Paul, they won't be quite that many. We'll be back with more of Exploring the Word. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for David Recorden, Director of Technology in the Office of Management and Administration. His office works to encourage collaboration to help secure American cyber interests. Proverbs 18.15 reminds us of the importance of knowledge. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide David Recorded in his work as Director of Technology. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Men have a job to do, not just in the workplace, but at home and at church. Dr. Tony Evans talks about what happens when they turn up AWOL as we spend two minutes with Tony. When men relinquish their roles, they have opened the door for the devil. The role of the church is to call men to their biblical roles as men. To be reminded from God's definition what a man is, what a man is supposed to be, and what a man ought to seek to become. The first thing that men ought to be doing is leading out in prayer. Most of the time in church, when it comes to prayer meeting, they're women. When it comes to sports, there's men. The purpose of prayer is to give earthly permission for heavenly interference. God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He always starts with men. 
And he starts with men because you have been divinely ordained to lead. He says, I want men in every place to call down heaven to earth so that heaven interferes with earth's reality. If men are not leading in prayer, then there is a flaw in the church, just as there is a flaw in the home. And much of what heaven wants to do in history can't be done because certain things are only done by prayer. Learn more about what it takes to man up in your marriage, your career, your relationship with your kids, and at church. Request a copy of Dr. Evans' best-selling book, Kingdom Man, for yourself, your brother, uncle, husband, father, teenage son, or your church study group. Visit us at TonyEvans.org and click on the link that says Making Kingdom Men. That's TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time as we spend two minutes with Tony. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10.23 American Family Radio Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bert and Alex with you today, and we're in Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost has fully come, and Peter is preaching, and he uses the book of Joel. He'll turn to the Psalms and uh, read one of Psalms of David, and w- this is an example of good preaching. All of you who are out there listening and saying, man, mm-hmm. what is good preaching? Right here is an example of it, taking that scripture and bringing it in today. But notice what he says in 22, Alex, as he was talking about men of Israel, listen to my words. The first thing he does is go to Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him to in your midst as you yourselves also know. Now, he's going to go on and talk about his life and uh, his death, the resurrection. But notice what he starts out with, attested by God, approved of God, appointed by God. And he approved that by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him. Do you see all these words in verse 22? Jesus of Nazareth, a man by God, uh, uh, which God did through him. Uh, he's kind of driving yeah. the, the the nail in the wood to let them know it's all about Jesus, isn't he? Well, absolutely. You know, in verse 22, where he says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man, some translations say approved by God or accredited by God. The, The word really means proven, proven by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Peter is saying, look, you're, you're accountable. You knew about this. Uh, what are some things that prove Jesus is the one and only Savior? Well, he was prophesied, and he came. He was born of a virgin. He had no sin nature. He fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies concerning the criteria for being Messiah, just uh, every every single detail. He did the miracles, healed the sick, raised the dead, taught the way of God, uh, lived that sinless life, and then rose from the dead. Um, and Bert, that's just only a few of the things we could say, but uh, Acts 2.22, I 
proven or verified or accredited as the Savior? It's undeniably true, isn't it? It is. And what he does in 23, he he lays it down like parallel. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined counsel. Okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is man. And foreknowledge of God. What happened did not catch God off one bit. It did not catch him by surprise. Through the foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. But God knew that. Matter of fact, it would say in the prophets that it pleased God for him to be bruised. In other words, these people, Jesus knew what was going to happen. God knew what was going to happen, but he did it because of well, the Bible makes it plain. For the joy that was set before him, he endured yes. the cross. It doesn't Amen. say he enjoyed the cross. For the joy that was before him of bringing many to Christ, he endured this. Uh, he was in the garden praying, Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. And the unheard answer is, son, there is no other way. This is the only way. And notice verse 24, and I throw it back to you, whom Jesus, this is who he's talking about, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death. I love that because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Mm. Death could not hold him, Alex. That's the whole idea. Man's greatest, quote, enemy could not hold Jesus Christ. You know, uh, at Easter, we always sing the song, Low in the Grave, He Lay, and there's this line. I've always loved it. I've really pondered on this, Bert, but it says, He tore the bars away. See, the grave is a prison from which no one escapes except Jesus. (laughs) He tore the bars away. And I've got to say this. um, In verse 23, okay, it says he was crucified and he rose. Different translations will say, according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. Very interesting. i got to say this, and I know we need to move on, but look, the the word for God's determined plan is the word from which we get the word horizon. And the other, God's foreknowledge, is the word prognosis in the Greek. You know, you've heard, um, what does the doctor say? Well, the prognosis is this, you know. Okay. God saw our condition. We were sinners. We're lost. We're separated from God. We needed a Savior. And, and Dr. Jesus made a prognosis. They need the most dependable medicine in history. They need salvation, the new birth. And then on the horizon, it says God's determined plan. Imagine uh, you look way off in the distance and you can see what's out on the horizon. And while it was evil that Jesus was accused and arrested and beaten, nailed to a cruel cross, but God, the Father, from eternity past. He said, my son is righteous. I will raise him from the dead. He, the grave will not hold him. Uh, I will not suffer my Holy One to see corruption. You remember that scripture? And so, Bert, isn't it a comfort? And, and let me just say this. The most crucial, most important, most significant thing in your life is where you stand with God. And I know we obsess about getting the bills paid and job and school and the family and the kids. But here's the thing. If God could look out across the horizon and make a plan for you to be saved, the most significant thing that you could ever need is forgiveness of your sins. Don't you think he's going to take care of all these other little details? Yeah. The Lord, yeah. 
the Lord knows you need food on the table, and the Lord knows the things that burden and stress you. And if we can trust Him for the most crucial thing, where we'll spend our eternity, Bert, we can trust Him for the needs of this day. We can. Matter of fact, that's what he would say in the Sermon on the Mount. He would end that by saying uh, that he will take care of those things, what you have to eat, what you shall wear. The Lord knows all that, and he does. He takes care of the greatest need. The greatest need you have right now is a relationship with him. And Alex, he moves again to Scripture. I just, Peter I, the difference in him uh, before Pentecost and after Pentecost is like a line of demarcation. I mean, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit yeah. of God comes into him. Notice the use of Scripture. And notice how Luke records this. You know, Luke makes sure that the prophets and then the Psalms are talking about Jesus. And he brings those Scriptures that Peter used and wrote them down so we could see this. Notice what it says, verse 25. For David says concerning him, Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope. Here it is. Because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Is this the Holy Spirit bringing into Peter meanings that he had no idea beforehand? It was kind of like the two on the road to Emmaus when Mm -hmm. Jesus took them aside and he instructed them in the Word of God and showed himself the Messiah to them throughout the Old Testament. And in here, Peter picks up on this and brings it because he will not leave his soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. All of a sudden, these scriptures come alive, don't they? Well, they really do. And hey, look at verse 32. God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Hey, you know... We, we all have things that are stressful, and I don't know, this might be a, a great day, might be a tough day, but hey, I, I just want to run around and shout, God has resurrected Jesus, and we're witnesses of this. Praise the Lord. He's alive. And therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. See, Peter is saying, look, what you're witnessing all these 16 people hearing the gospel in their language, this is part of the redemption story. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now verse 36 Some would embrace it, some would struggle with it, uh, but this is truth. And, you know, isn't it amazing that though King David lived centuries before the birth of Jesus, uh, the, the king of Israel, David, would say to an ancestor, you are my Lord. Isn't that amazing? Because um, I know you've heard people 
you know, preach about how Mary, the baby Jesus, you know, he was a newborn only moments old and yet infinitely older than Mary. And Mary held heaven in her arms, didn't she? She did. And Alex, you're so right. Notice what he says again and tie this in. Don't you miss it. How Peter pinpoints in verse 22, men of Israel in here, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Notice what he does here. He brings this home and he didn't say who they crucified, who these other people crucified, but he brings it home and says, whom you crucified. Uh, he is trying to let these individuals who are there today understand that the crucifixion of Christ was was their responsible. Yes, the Roman government, they're the ones that carried it out. It was the Sanhedrin that, that was the root that would cause it, but it was our sins. And so here, notice the therefore. Because Jesus was crucified, because Jesus was raised from the dead, because he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father, therefore let us understand this, that he is what? Both Lord and Christ. Alex, we've had this quite a bit about the name of Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, but here it is, that Jesus is Lord and he is the Christ. And no one else is qualified. No one else could be this. There's not another prophet. There's not a lawgiver. Uh, there's not one of the apostles. The only one is Jesus. And that's what, I, I believe that's what Peter's trying to bring home. You remember he said, this man, this man, not another, but this man. And if anyone's listening today and they're thinking, well, I want to go to heaven, but I'm not so sure that Jesus is the only way. I declare to you, according to the word of God that has stood the test of time, the word of God that is a sure word from heaven, he is the way, he is the truth, and no one is going to get to the Father except by him. No wonder, he says, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Alex, there's no one else except Jesus. That's true. And, you, you know, if, if you happen to be listening to this program right now and you've never trusted Christ, uh, let me say this. A lot of times we, we put the gospel in the context of, you know, being saved so you won't go to hell. And that's part of it, to have your sins forgiven, to be born from above, and to know that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And when you leave this world, you'll go to heaven, not hell. But, you know, Bert, the longer I live, the more I realize uh, it's the presence of Jesus every day that is such the sweet part of salvation. You know, I have to tell you, when I was 21 and I accepted Christ as my Savior, you know, I believed that he rose from the dead and he died on the cross for me. But I have to tell you, probably the, the, the main thing on my mind was I didn't want to be lost. I wanted to go to heaven, not hell. And, and of course, that's part of it. But the longer I live to walk every day in the presence of Jesus and to know that the Lord... He is that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I really do think the greatest thing about the gospel, the greatest thing is not merely going to heaven, not hell. It's to have the presence of the eternal Son of God with you every moment of every day. Preach it, brother. <clears throat> I say it this way. 
I got a lot more than I thought I was getting. When I saved at 12, I'm in the same boat you were in. I did not want to go to hell. I didn't want to be apart from God for eternity. I knew yeah, that. Sure. And Jesus was the way. But I got a friend that stays closer than a brother. I've got someone that will never leave me. He will not forsake me. I have someone that has given me purpose in my life. He is, it's better than anything that you could even ask or think. And that's that's what the Bible talks about. It is mm-hmm. beyond description. And so he, listen to these last two verses. It's getting close to the time when we end. It's not the last two verses of the chapter, but these next two verses. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm, I will say this, and I'll turn it back over to you to take us out, Alex, but that is good preaching. You want Amen. to preach so that people will come to the close to the end. What shall I do? What do I need to do? We call it a response. Some people call it an invitation. But what shall we do? And we better have an answer. He gave them an answer, didn't he? He gave them a one-word answer. He said, repent. <laughs> yeah. And that, that means turn to Christ, turn from sin to Jesus. And so this is just so beautiful. And uh, he says, uh, repent, be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Really, really the word is upon the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're listening and you're not sure or you've not done it, hey, like Peter would say, repent, turn to Jesus, and do it today. Do it today. Do not wait. Come to Christ now. We're going to take your phone calls. That number, 888-589-8840. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pugh. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com. Our elected officials are supposed to uphold the law, not break it. That includes Representative Maxine Waters. During the Derek Chauvin trial, Waters was encouraging protesters and rioters to commit acts of violence against citizens and law enforcement. This can't be overlooked. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene has filed House Resolution 327 to expel Waters from Congress. Go to afaaction.net and find out how you can urge your representative to support this resolution. That's afaaction.net. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Seattle Pacific University's Board of Trustees, a Christian university, voted recently to retain the school's longstanding, biblically-based policy requiring students and faculty to adhere to the Bible's orthodox teaching on marriage and sexuality. Thereafter, the school's faculty cast a vote of no confidence in the Board of Trustees because of its continued submission to biblical authority. 90% of all faculty members voted, 72% of whom favored the vote of no confidence, while 22% opposed it. Imagine what the students are being taught when 72% of the school's faculty are upset the trustees want to keep the place Christian. 
Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Sometimes God allows us to eat delicious cake, and sometimes God serves us one ingredient at a time. We might find ourselves with a mouthful of something bitter or hard to swallow, and we wonder, why is God allowing me to experience this tough time in my life? So often we face trials in our lives and we wonder what God is doing. Let me tell you, God is always at work for your best. Even when you face the hardest trials and most distasteful circumstances, you can trust that God is working out His good purpose for you. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Salvation Army Band is playing this hymn And your grace rings out so deep It makes my resistance seem so thin So hold me Jesus Cause I'm shaking like a leaf you Welcome back to Exploring the Word Welcome back to the program We're going to pick up again tomorrow with more of Acts chapter 2, but right now we go to the telephones, and friend, this is your day. If you haven't called in, today is your day. We want to talk with you, and if you've got a Bible question, you can dial 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840, and Bert and I will do our best to give you a biblical answer to the question. We, we'll, we'll give it our best shot, won't we, Bert? We will, and we look forward to that and ask God to help us. And we pray about this. We just want you to know we don't do it, you know, half-heartedly or easy. We really want to give the biblical answer. Hey, let's go to North Carolina and talk to Bill. Bill, welcome to Exploring the Word. Bill, are you there? Yes. Go right ahead. You're on the radio. Well, my wife and I, uh, before we go to bed at night, have a time of prayer. And one of the things, obviously, that we pray for uh, is our country uh, and, you know, for the leaders of our country. And, uh, you know, we had a president that loved Israel, that was anti-abortion, and now we have a whole new regime in. And personally, I'd love to know, how do we pray for these guys? Okay, Bill, thank you. Alex, I pray that... Yeah, I pray that God would change them. Uh, I pray that God would limit their, uh, you know, their power, what they're doing. So what would you say? Well, for one thing, I often pray that they would get saved. Um, Because, look, I mean, religion and knowing Jesus are two different things. And so I know a lot of these people in Washington— uh, they might be religious, they might claim to be a member of a church, but if, if their life and their beliefs and their behavior is completely contrary to the Word of God, uh, they don't know Jesus. And so I pray for people to get saved, and I pray by name, I pray very specifically, but also I pray for the Lord to restrain evil. 
And I know, I know from a human perspective, things look bad. But Bert, I am convinced that the seeds of a revival are being sown. Uh, Proverbs 21 says, uh, the king's heart is in the Lord's hand, and as the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. And so, Bert, I, I pray for God to rule and overrule. And let's just keep praying for the salvation of leaders. Let's have compassion on these lost souls, many of them. And let's pray for them to find Jesus and to govern biblically. Bill, thank you. And one of the things we do is have the presidential prayer team. And uh, each day they come and we hear it on here on our radio, how they pray for individuals that send the administration. So we might could listen to them and learn more as well. Next, the person that we want to go to is Iowa, and it's James. James, welcome. Hello, Bert and Alex. How are you guys today? Have a wonderful, blessed day in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Good to hear from you, Absolutely. my friend. Absolutely. Hey, I got a question. I, was, um, I don't really have – I know it's not an excuse, but I really don't have time to read the Bible, so I listen to it every day. I'm, like, my, I'm fortunate enough to work in a job where I can listen to headphones. Um, for one, I want to know if that was – if it's okay instead of, um, you know, reading it. A silly question. But the other one is, too, is – when Jesus, after the resurrection, he came back, why did he hide his identity? When, it, when he told those guys to throw the net off the side of the boat again, you know, the second time when he, after the resurrection, they didn't, they didn't recognize him. Why is that? Okay. Thank you, James. Alex, uh, his new body, his resurrection body, was different to an extent, and there were mm-hmm. several times this had, but I think it was purposeful that he would – do something that would help him. And so what would you say? Well, do you know what? Believe it or not, like in John 21, when uh, they realized, they said, it is the Lord. Um, and on the Emmaus Road, they later, they said, did not did not our hearts burn within us? At first, uh, many of the disciples didn't immediately recognize that it was Jesus. And let me explain at least one little uh, nuance Sometimes skeptics will say that, well, uh, Jesus didn't rise. The disciples had hallucinations. And psychology tells us that when a bereaved person, they, they say, uh, you know, I, I saw somebody, you know, I, the loved one that passed away, I saw him. All right, when there is a hallucination, there is expectation. And oftentimes in responding to skeptics about this, they'll talk about the necessary psychological preconditions. One, hallucinations only generally appear to one person, not 500 at a time. Uh, Hallucinations you can't converse with back and forth. Hallucinations generally happen in one limited, like a room of a house. And we have the appearances of Jesus in many multiple locations. But the, uh, the main thing about why hallucinations must not have been uh, what was going on here. Not only were they not expecting, they thought their friend and Lord and Master had died, and then when he did appear, they didn't even recognize him oftentimes. And then through the, the way he broke the bread or there with the net, they realized, okay, it's the Lord. But I think part of it was, Bert, they, even though Jesus had promised that he would rise, many of them... Uh, they were despondent. They went back to the fishing boats. They thought, oh, he's dead. It's all over. And they, they really weren't expecting it. 
That is so true. In Matthew 28 at the Great Commission, it said he appeared before them and some doubted. Uh, there was, I don't know everything that means, but I know there was an identity issue and yet he revealed himself. I think that might be a picture of what goes on today. Alex, we have things happen to us and we wondering, Lord, where are you? He's in mm-hmm. that shadow land. You remember C.S. Lewis and he, oh, yeah. yeah, the shadow lands, God was in those shadow lands. And so, uh, look for him. He, he is there faithful. Thank you so much, uh, James. Yeah, let's go to Kansas and talk to Rebecca. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you. Um, My Bible study group have been studying Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 3, and the Lord um, talks to the mountain of Israel. And does mountain have a special meaning? Have another meaning than an actual mountain? Okay. Okay. you know, say to this mountain, be removed, and he removes it. Alex, uh, <clears throat> I know for as I would say poetically and picturesque, uh, we have mountains in our lives, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think you can understand it that way, but the literal word means that mountain just like we have, you know? Yeah, that it really, really does. A lot of times we associate mountains within insurmountable problem you know david jeremiah when they were working on shadow mountain community church they had a a a mountain they needed removed and an older lady said to david jeremiah leaving church one day she said well doesn't the bible say that in jesus name we'll say be removed and let's let's just pray that and david jeremiah said a few days later the city came and said hey we need so many you know dump truck loads of dirt is there any way we could have the dirt that makes up that hill, and that mountain was removed. But very often in the Bible, mountains represent promises of God and prophecies. Do you remember Mount um, Gerizim and Mount Ebal? There was warnings and there was promises. And I think about Mount Sinai. I think about Mount Calvary. And very often, you know, mountain means mountain. You know what we think about, you know, a mountain— but in some ways, many of God's greatest promises are associated with mountains, aren't they, Bert? They are. And again, uh, you, you take when you say we interpret the Bible literally, it means we interpret the way God gave it. And yes, that's a mountain, but yet that mountain represents now not in a in a way that makes you the the person that determines, but God uses it. And so uh, that's a good question, Rebecca. Thank you. Uh, let's let's next go down and let's go to Texas. Yeah, and we're going to talk to Jake. Jake, welcome to Exploring the Word. Yes, sir. Thank you. I have a couple of questions. Um, my first question is when y'all were in, in Acts chapter two, when uh, it, it says that they all spoke. In different languages so if, if the Holy Spirit came upon them would you say that um, that it was the Holy Spirit that was preaching through them verse 4 is real mm-hmm. plain I think Jake it says and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues the the 
Greek word is language, as mm -hmm. the Spirit gave them utterance. I, the answer to your question, I think, is yes, Alex. How about you? Yeah, you know what? Um, and really, the wording is um, that the Spirit, it says, to utter forth through them. Some translations will say, as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. But, yeah, I, I really do believe, like the caller uh, asked, you know, it was God speaking through them. And, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about how we minister and preach. Just like, um, and I don't, want, I don't want to take this too far, but, okay, Jesus was fully God and fully human, but not fallen human. You look at the Bible, it is fully, fully, totally the Word of God and yet it was written by humans. And when we preach a sermon or even share the gospel, uh, and you go forth through your day and you witness, it's a work of God, but it's through a willing participant, the Christian being a witness. Isn't it beautiful how God, it is His Word and His work, and yet He often does it through humans? Isn't that a beautiful thing? It is amazing. Now, here's the whole idea. They heard it in their own language. There were more people there to hear than there were to speak, you know? Mm -hmm. And they heard. Uh, so it's not just the language, it's the ears of them hearing. Thank you so much, Jake. Let's go to Arkansas and talk to Clint. Clint, welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on your show today. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks Bill. for calling. Hey, uh, I was listening, and I was... Uh, I was wondering what the proper response is to the question that they ask in, in 238. And, uh, and along with that, I was wondering, you know, what your thoughts are on the role of baptism and how baptism appears with uh, each conversion experience in the book of Acts. I'm going to let y'all have it, and I'll just listen on the radio. Thanks for having me on. Okay. He's at the question was, men and brethren— what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, and that's an interesting Greek word. It has because of, in order to, it has many words, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. His response was repent and, and, and trust Christ for sure. Alex, mm -hmm. what about baptism? Does it fit in? Well, you, believer's baptism, and, you know, this is one of the questions that we address in the book that's coming out in September, and please be in prayer as we kind of wrap up the final details, and that thing is uh, being typeset even as we speak. But we, let's take all the salvation verses that we can. In Acts 2.38, you read it in the English, and it says, Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, water baptism is not what saves you. It's the converting work of God when you put your faith in Jesus. Now, I think you ought to be water baptized, just like you ought to wear a wedding ring if you're married. But uh, if if this were the only verse we had, or Acts 16.31, where Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you should be saved, and your house. That, that doesn't mean that if mom and dad get saved, the children are automatically converted. So we, we look at all the verses and we realize that there is saving faith, but then there's obedience in, in terms of baptism. And there's, um, you know, when it says in the English, um, 
be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But really, the Greek uh, word there means upon the forgiveness of your sins. So there is two different things here. There's your faith in Jesus that results in salvation. And once that has happened, identify with the church, be baptized as a public proclamation. And so I'm, I'm not at all minimizing the value of that step of obedience called baptism. It's a very important step of obedience, a public proclamation of Christ. But really, uh, English translations of this verse notwithstanding, Bert, you really can't construe that to mean water baptism is what saves you. Do not establish your theology on that word for uh, ice in, in the Greek language, it, like you said, upon, and all the other things that that word could means. But mm-hmm. you take the whole, and then you look at that, and you bring that to the table in verse 38, and I think you do. I think the response is correct. Repent first, turn mm-hmm. from, and turn to. Well, thank you for being with us today, and we appreciate it as so much. And we're going to continue in the book of uh, we're going to continue in the book of of Acts, Acts tomorrow, yeah. Alex. We're looking forward to that, and Amen. we're going to get into chapter three, and we're going to find Peter. Boldness it just doesn't come and go. It seems it stays, doesn't it? It really does. Hey, I know we're almost out of time. I want to remind people I'm going to be at the Cove June 25 through 27. Got just a few seats left. You can go to the website, thecove.org. We'd love to see you there when we go through the book of Acts and pray together at the Cove at the end of June. You would get a double blessing just being at the Cove, being there to hear Alex. But I think there's a third one in it, and that's fellowshipping with believers. I think that goes a long way, Alex. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. Please tune in again tomorrow. Share this show from the AFR website, afr.net, and you can forward those podcasts and links. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word, but most of all, please tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus.